0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Well, it's good to be with you today. You know, today we're going to talk about knowing the unknown. And I have to say, I, yep, I probably don't look it, but I've gotten a little bit older, and uh, I feel young, I feel young, um, but as I get older, one of the things I appreciate about getting older is I think, I'm not sure, maybe you can check me on this, but I think that I know more about what I don't know. Do You know what I mean? I mean, like when you're young, you think you know everything, and it's good, because if you didn't think that, you would never get out of bed in the morning, Right? The older you get, the more you realize you don't know everything, and the stuff you don't know, you need to be aware of, you know? And like, man, I don't know that, so I'm going to go find an expert about that. Um, but there are some things that we do need to know and need to figure out, right? Um, I remember as a kid trying to learn how to drive a, a stick shift. Anybody do that? Does anybody know what a stick shift is? All right. You're, you're good people. Um, but I... I, I, I I knew intellectually what you're supposed to do, but until you actually try to experience that, right, because there's got to be a, you know, coordination. The clutch goes in, the gas comes out, gas goes in, clutch goes and you got to get the feel for it, but I have to tell you, I wanted to quit a bunch of times. I could not figure it out, and one time, I sat through six light changes with my dad before I could get that car going. We're on a little bit of an incline. Do you know what inclines are here in Florida? We don't really have them, but other places there are what they call hills. And I I remember trying to let off the brake and put my foot on the gas and let off the... eh. Oh, man. My dad had his hand on the emergency brake, and he kept pulling up on it. I knew intellectually, but I didn't know experientially, and we need to know both, right? To actually figure it out, you have to kind of know and experience I have to know and experience, but I have to tell you, I was about to quit a bunch of times. Finally, my dad gave up on me. He took me to the church parking lot, which had a nice incline on it. He said, listen, knock yourself out. He got out of the car and he went home. (laughs) Uh, And I figured it out. I figured it out. I learned and and was able to know what to me seemed unknowable. Maybe you've had that experience with something in your life. Maybe if you ever uh, learned how to water ski. Especially the older you get, it's really tough because the balance point you know some jerk on a boat just puts the throttle down and just pulls your head over those skis and you face plant right in the water, and you're like, "This is stupid, this isn't going to work and you you know intellectually how to do it, but you have to experience it. same's true with snow skiing. I mean, you get up there, you think you can do this, but If you are a water skier and you try to snow ski, it's really a disaster because with water skiing, you lean back and snow skiing, you have to lean forward, which is counterintuitive because you're going down a hill way too fast. If I lean forward, anyway. But you start to think, I'm never gonna know this. I'm never really going to get this. And there's that thought that goes through your mind and you're like, man, I'm never gonna get this. And I fear for some people That's what following Jesus is like. Maybe there was a, you know intellectually how it's supposed to work and you know that there's supposed to be a spirit within you and you know that you're supposed to be saved and feel forgiven and feel innocent and all that, but you tried it and you just can't make it work. Or maybe it works only a little bit and you're like, man, I don't know. I feel like everyone else around me is getting it, but I don't really know. This is for you today. Maybe you know someone like, Maybe you know people like this. They, they got a little bit, they got a little bit of background, but man, it's just really undefined and it really, you don't understand how, it, it just, you feel like you're sitting at the stoplight trying to make that car go and it just keeps dying on you. And when it dies, it, and there's people in the back honking their horns saying, get out of the way. Acts chapter 17, beginning of verse 16, it's a famous encounter that the apostle Paul has with the Athenians in Greece. And it speaks to this idea of knowing the unknown. Knowing the unknown. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Remember, Paul has just gotten run out of every town. I mean, he he can't stay long enough before they chase him out. He got chased out of Philippi. He got chased out of Thessalonica, chased out of Berea. And he, he heads down about 200 miles down to Athens from Berea. And he leaves Timothy and Silas behind in Berea. Don't know why exactly. I think they just had to get him out of town, probably put him in a rail car and just got him out of town, you know. Um, But he sends for them. While he's waiting for them, he's in Athens, and here's what happens. Verse 16 says, now Paul, excuse me, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he screamed and yelled and just got in people's faces and got really mad at them. And he posted on social media and he, and he just, no, he didn't do that, did he? I want to make sure y'all are listening. <clears throat> and incidentally, the word for provoked is like infuriated. Oh, this is driving me crazy. I can't believe this is happening. Verse 17, so he reasoned with them. Some of you are good at this. He reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. It's estimated that there were over 30,000 idols in Athens in public at the time. This is a place called Mars Hill. You've probably heard of it. It's right there in Athens where all the like the Acropolis, the Areopagus, the Quark Place, big stuff is right here. And there's 30,000 idols. And it's estimated that there was only about 10,000 residents at the time. So really, it was like more idols than there were people. And Paul is walking in knowing the one true God. And he's seeing what they value. He's seeing what they worship. And he's like, oh, This has to change. What what happens when you get provoked in your spirit? It should be that I I just want to help people have what I have. That's why the second greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, is is to love others as yourself, which means I want others to have what I have. I want them to have this God that I have. I have a passion for that, and that's Paul. So he reasons Anywhere he can. He starts in the synagogue, which is Paul's pattern. Remember, that's the Jewish worship place where people gather for prayer and scripture reading and discussion. And then he talks to anybody who will listen. And um, here he is dealing with this city with all of these idols, to all these gods. Incidentally, their favorite god in Athens at the time was really Hermes or Mercury. And he's a messenger. If you know much about him, he has various... Uh, roles but that's kind of who they were into at the time um, he just has to reason with people he has to help them understand um, what's going on and I I wonder you may be thinking you know Steve I, I don't see idols here in Florida I, I don't see I, people don't worship idols really well they kind of do don't they like driving down A1A and driving down Ocean Avenue and worship the houses as you go by. Um, People do worship, I don't know, sometimes you might not struggle with this, but you drive down the avenue at night and there's like, you know, half a million dollar cars parked next to you. Maybe you own one, that'd be great, it'd like a ride. Um, There's all kinds of idols, really, if you think about it. Almost everybody is worshiping an idol. Something made by humans that we attribute divinity to or godlike characteristics, or we serve. That's an idol. Are there any of those present in our culture? Are there any of those present in your life? So, Paul's reasoning with anyone who will listen, verse 18 Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he, is, he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know, and I lo- you know, I have to use that the kind of that real haughty, you know, um, scholarly tone, may we know. It has to be English, too. I don't know why. You have to have kind of a about British accent. May we know what you know. Don't you, don't you kind of feel that? Now, there was no English at the time, but I just feel like that's how it would have sounded. It's kind of arrogant. We know everything. But if you have something to share with us, would you share it with us, you know? Um, you with me? You feeling that a little bit? People are saying he's lost his mind. I know that. But when you're my age, it doesn't matter, right? 60 is a new 30, right, Mike Keller? Amen. preaching. Thanks, buddy. That's why you have deacons, so they support you when you say stuff like that. Um, may we know what this new teaching is that you're, that you're pre- presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. You've been there? Oh, what's the latest? What's the latest on this? What's the latest fashion? What's the latest person? What's the latest thing on my team? How in the world did Jacksonville win last night? You know, all those kinds of things. Uh, there's no chance that Miami's going to win today, right? Gina, as I know, is rooting for him, but we know it's not going to happen. Um, we all want something new. I want to know the newest thing, the coolest thing. That's why people, I think that's why they watch the Today Show. I don't understand, but you know, there's this desire, though, for something new, and that's what they were in Athens. They were all about it. There's two main groups here. There are the Epicureans, the Epicureans. They were a group that were all about pleasure. They believed that there were gods and that they existed, but they were really far off, and they were kind of like kind of like deists in a way. And the gods exist, but they really don't have much to do with what we're doing and what's going on here on Earth. So we just need to have as much fun as we possibly can. And they actually invented hedonism. That word came out of the Epicurean uh, philosophy. And so, uh, I love R.C. Sproul's comment about him. He says, their whole, the phrase that describes them best is this. If it feels good, it is good. Kind of resonates with our culture, doesn't it? If it feels good, it is good. Don't rain on my parade. I want to feel good, and you're kind of making me feel bad about what makes me feel good, so you must be bad. That's an Epicurean um, perspective. And they probably part of the reason they did this and lived this way was because they thought death was the end. There's nothing after death, we need to feel as good as we can for as long as we can. Those were the Epicureans. And then there were the, there were the Stoics, and they were a little different, but they were kind of in the same group of these philosophers. And the Stoics had a different view. They believed God was in everything. They were pantheists. God's everywhere, he's in everything, kind of a Hindu approach. Um, they were essentially fatalists. In other words, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. You can't do anything about it, but don't let it get you down. That's kind of their, their whole thing. Um, um, R.C. Sproul says, life is meaningless, but don't let it get you down. That was their kind of phrase. That was what they were all about. And they say to Paul, let's hear what this babbler has to say, right? This babbler. And that word, we, we see babbler, we think someone just babble, babble, babble. You know, it's like you do with your little two-year-old granddaughter, like I used to do with I, babble, babble. You, you, you just mouth word, you know, it's nothingness. But uh, the, the word actually in, in the original language speaks of kind of someone who gathers scraps of cloth and so pieces it together and tries to sell it. It's like a, like a bird goes and gathers scraps of stuff to build its nest. And from a uh, philosophy standpoint, that's what they were saying to Paul. Hey, listen, you're just a babbler. You're just grabbing a piece from here, a piece from there, and you're kind of weaving it all together, and you're making it sound like something new. We don't know if we believe you, but let's hear it anyway. It's interesting that they're, inter- they're willing to hear him. And it's interesting that in this context of 30,000 gods, they seem to have moved on from them. They don't seem like these gods are getting it done for them, and they're always reaching forward to something new. That's why they want to hear Paul. They think that maybe there's something new. They think that maybe he's got something that would kind of put together stuff they already know in a way that would have some meaning because really their lives are pretty meaningless if you think about it. And Paul is preaching Jesus and resurrection and we already know that the Epicureans didn't believe in resurrection so it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a cloudy thing they're trying to figure out. But it, maybe you've had that experience, so maybe you have some spiritual background, but it's never really worked out for you, and you're trying to figure it out. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here, because we're here to help you figure out. So they got invite Paul to speak, and in verse 22, um, the story continues. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, this was a meeting place near the market. It was a place they would gather. They might have trials there. They might have debates there. Um, it was a place to meet and to speak, and they invited him to speak. And he says this. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Anybody ever told you that? Oh, I didn't know you're you are know, religious. Again, they, they quit cursing and they change the channel or whatever else is going on. right? I didn't know you are religious. You're like, what does that mean? And Paul is not trying to cut them down. He's saying, listen, I, you're very religious, which means you're very devout. You really try to worship something. You hold to something. You're you're someone who you guys are really devoted to figuring this out. And there's all these objects of worship. He says, I see that you're very religious. Verse 23. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. And I found also an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. I love how Paul finds something in their culture, and he attaches it to who Jesus is. You see, there's this desire in everyone to know God. There's this desire in everyone who doesn't know God personally, doesn't know Jesus, there's a desire to know. There's this desire to connect with him, and that's there. They've got 30,000 gods, and they've got an altar to the unknown God. It just feels like God is calling out to them. There I'm here, if you would just listen, and... I love how Paul grabs that and says, "Listen, that which you see is unknown. I'm going to explain to you. I'm going to proclaim it to you." Julie and I were in Africa uh, about 15 years ago, and we were talking to a pastor there. and uh, Wilfred Gathongo was his name, and he was a he was a great speaker, and he had a deep voice, and um, he worked out in um, the the really rural areas where you were, people lived in huts and all the things you see on tv and and he said yeah i i would go into there this people and i would go into their huts and i always noticed that on the jug of liquid or water whatever it is they were drinking there would be a cross just like two lines like that and i got to thinking about that and then he said i noticed that in every hut there would also be Three stones they would set the pot on that they were cooking. It wouldn't be four. It wouldn't be five. It would always be just three stones, and that's how the, every house was set up. Said so I got to thinking about that, and I asked them. I asked the people, so why is there this cross on the jug, and why do you always only use three stones? He said they were meticulous about it. He said, they said, we don't know. We don't know. It's, it's something our, our people have always done. He said, well, let me explain. Let me explain about the three stones, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let let me explain about the cross and what that means. And the man who died on that cross to pay the price to make you right with God. He found something in their culture and he used it. And In our culture, a lot of times people will wear a cross and they don't really know what it means. It just feels like it's a good thing. Let's talk about the cross. You can know the God of the cross. I love how Paul does that, and we can do that uh, as well. You know, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and you have too, struggling, and they always ask this question, why is God allowing this difficulty to happen? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? Why doesn't he just give me a good life and make everything perfect and make everybody behave, and why does God... Well, I, I always give him one of three answers, or maybe I give him all three. And the first is, you know, he might want to get your attention. Might want you to know him. He might really just want to get your attention. He also might be telling you, "Listen, this life far from you is going to lead to disaster. This life far from God is leads to disaster." He wants to get your attention. Wants to you tell you, "Life far from Him leads to disaster." And he also, the third thing I tell people a lot is. You know, he wants to remind you this world is not your home. There is no nirvana on earth. There is no real peace on earth. This earth only exists so that God can accomplish his purpose of moving people to the new heaven and the new earth. Paul uses what they already know, what they're already questioning, what they're already wondering about to give them the answers they need. And then he gives them this message about who God is. Verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He says God is a creator. He is way greater than you think he is. He's way more powerful than you can imagine. He created all that you know. People think, well, God does not... I mean, I forgot how important is he. Well, he made everything. Oh, by the way, he doesn't need to live in a temple. He doesn't need a statue to be built for him down there. He doesn't need you to make some kind of a thing that that reminds you of him. He doesn't need that. He's so much greater than you think he is. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't use people. What it means is he doesn't need your work. He's not waiting around saying, man, I'm not going to get anything done unless old Steve gets it in gear. Man, I was just trying to hope those people down there would start doing because I can't do anything without him. No, actually, he can do everything without you. He can do everything without any of us. He doesn't need us. Praise God, he invites us in. He lets us work with him. It's an incredible privilege, incredible joy to serve Jesus Christ. But he doesn't need us he's so much stronger than that he's so much more powerful than we can imagine um, he doesn't need anything just remember that he doesn't need anything it Says since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything paul says listen the only reason you're still breathing is because of the activity of god the only reason you can take a step you have a thought The only reason you have tomorrow, the only reason you had yesterday is because of the activity of God in your life. Think on that for just a moment. Remember when we brought our first child home, I was looking at him thinking, what is keeping him breathing? How does he know to breathe? And then pretty soon I thought, what would ever stop him from screaming? Because he screamed for like, Nine months solid. He's a great young man, but my goodness. I don't want to scare any of you young parents, but You need God in the midst of that, amen? But you look at him and you realize you're only breathing. You're not breathing because you're healthy. You're not breathing. You're breathing because God lets you breathe. need to rest in that a little bit, don't we? He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26 says, And he made from every man, every nation of mankind to live. I'm sorry, let me start again. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, without getting into the language of this, just very simply, here's what he's saying God made all the nations. And God decides who rises and who falls. God uses the nations. The Bible says he turns the leader's heart wherever he wants. God is in control. Well, why is all these people, why are these bad nations rising? Why is all this? Listen, because God wants to get your attention. God wants you to remind you that being far from him is a very bad place. And God wants to give you the opportunity to come to him and recognize this world is not your home. not out of control. God is incredibly involved in what's going on in your life and in this world to bring about his purpose and his will. You may not feel it. You may not see it, but know that our God is absolutely in control. And he does this all. Why? So that we can find him. Verse 27 says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each of us. Have you ever done that? You kind of feels your way. That's what happens when you turn off the light and, ah, i got to go to drink, and you don't want to turn the light back on, and you run into the bedpost, and you stub your toe, and you try to grope your way to where you're going. Well, it's much worse than that, but that's what God is saying people do spiritually. He wants to give people the opportunity to try to grope and find him, even though he is not far away. Let me just tell you, if you feel like you're far from God, One, it's not him who moved, but let me tell you, you can't ever really get very far from someone who's everywhere, can you? He is present. He is very, very near. And then Paul, to illustrate this, he says, in your own literature, these poets say these things. Verse 28 says, for he's quoting, in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Those two lines are quoted from a poet of the day. In him we live and move and have our being. They're saying, listen, God's very close. It's in him that everything exists. And there's a sense that in this culture, in our society, that's the sense. God is present. You know, what people use in our culture, it's your energy, right? I feel an energy. I feel an energy yeah you do, there is a lot of energy. you know you have bad energy. Well, no, I just don't like you. no, um God is present, He is the enemy's present, but God is much more powerful and he is. And Paul said, I'm weaving this, this babbler who stitches things together. I'm pulling a piece of your own understanding, your own literature out, and I'm helping you understand that you already think these things. You already have a sense that there is something you don't know. That's why you have an altar to the unknown God. I want you to understand your desire to know is legitimate because God is very close, and we are his offspring. And being his offspring, verse 29... We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. They already knew this. That's probably why they were moving on. They're like, how can God be in gold statues or silver statues? How can God? That's ridiculous. We all know that, but still, it's a human condition that we want to worship that, even though we know it's inanimate. Know that. We see it. Paul's confirming what they already know. God doesn't, you can't make him out of gold and silver. And then in verse 30 and 31, he starts to tell them that now is the time to know Jesus, the unknown God, verse 30. Paul says, the times of ignorance, in the times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's what he's saying. You're lucky to be alive, Right? You didn't know before. You didn't know. Maybe you heard the story of Jesus, but you didn't know really what he was all about. And I'm here to proclaim him and help you understand the time now is to repent of your sin, of your ignoring his word, of ignoring what he expects. And you now have the opportunity to repent and receive him and be made right with him. And that's the opportunity I'm giving you because essentially your time is up. It's time for judgment to happen. See, none of us know that we have another moment. None of us know we have another breath. Time could be right now. The time is now. He says, in times of ignorance, God overlooked it, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Jesus Christ has come and paid the price for your sin. If you don't repent, you're rejecting God's provision for you. Refusing to open that door of faith and trust in him. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to judge everyone. Going to judge everyone. And if you refuse to repent, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. That's the beauty of following Jesus. You don't have to have a long resume. You just have to have one reference. Just one reference. Maybe you've gotten a job that way. I didn't even look at my resume. They just just knew that I knew this guy. And this reference got me the job. All the thing you need to get into heaven is a reference from Jesus Christ. Say, yes, this is one of mine. He's repented of my sin. He's repented of his sin. Just one guy. You don't need a resume. You just need one reference. And it's interesting, the, the response. So cool because Bible always, there's, it's so true for so many reasons, but because there's not this incredibly huge Billy Graham-like response here, it kind of gives it even more veracity. Because if we were writing the story, we'd kind of embellish it a little bit and go, and thousands were saved. Others have come, and you can come as well. I mean, that's how it would be, Right. But no, only most people rejects Paul. And he says this, um, Luke records it this way. He says, now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Um, The Epicureans didn't believe in life after death, so they thought when he talked about resurrection, that's not even a possibility. So they got out their snooty voice. Now they heard the resurrection. Some mocked him, and others said, we'll hear you again, you know. Just there's nothing wrong with hearing someone again, right? Don't wait though. We'll talk to anyone whose really heart is open in letting God save them, but don't wait too long. I always wonder if people saying I want to hear more means I'm just rejecting what you say, but I'd like to hear it again. Um, again, we'll walk with you. We'll help you. But some, some men joined him and believed. And among them were also Dionysius the Areopagite uh, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Some did. Some said, "I'm not going to hang with you guys anymore. This guy's got it right. This guy's got it right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk with him, and I'm gonna believe in Jesus." Some responded. Have you responded? Are you a follower? Are you a follower of Jesus? You see, our goal as our church is to make Jesus known for that reason. People sometimes say, what's the rules? What do I have to do? Listen, you have to be connected to Jesus and let him change your life. That's what you have to do. That's it. Pretty simple. Well, don't I have to get my life cleaned up first? No, because you're not going to be capable. Jesus came to clean up your life, however messed up it is. Um. Know Jesus and make him known. He is greater than you know, and he is available to be known. What would it look like if we took a walk through your life right now? And we could kind of walk together through the through your life, and you could explain the things. Maybe we'd walk through your home and maybe you'd, you'd show us your house and you'd tell us everything there was to know about your house and how it's built and how good it is. And is. You'd walk through and you'd show us your furniture and you'd say, this is, this piece meant this, this is an heirloom, and, and you'd tell us all about it. You know all about it. And sometimes those things are exactly what crowds God out of our lives because we're worshiping our stuff. Or maybe if we walk through your life, we'd see the substances that maybe you depend on, the, the alcohol or the, or the drugs or things like that. You'd be like, man, I can tell you all about it. You know all about those things. They're very, very well defined. That's what you depend on. Or maybe it's experiences. Maybe it's your sports team. You can tell us all about your team and all the statistics and all the rules and how it functions and how you enjoy it and the last time that you went, last experience. You could tell us all about that. Or maybe it's the people that you may worship, and those are the people you try to please above God even. You say, I've got to please these people. This is how I live my life. And you can tell us all about them. You can can tell us their stats and, and, and everything there is to know about them. Or maybe we'd look and we'd just see that you're the one that you try to please, and it's all about you. You kind of worship yourself, and it's very defined, and you can tell all the things that please you and how you keep yourself happy and... But then there's this unknown God, and he's there, but you don't really know much about him. He's not very well defined. You don't really have much to say about him. Maybe there was a story once, there was a story a long time ago, remember, and I, I remember how it happened, and I remember, yeah, I remember hearing about God, and I responded, I think, maybe, and I was baptizing, but but there's no only, there's it's only one story. You don't really know much about him, and the reality is it hadn't really been working for you. You're kind of like learning how to drive a clutch, and you can't figure it out, and you kind of gave it up. Let me encourage you this morning. You need to know the unknown God. You need to know the unknown God because he's very present. And he's very knowable. say, how do I do that? Well, you know, there's a whole book he wrote. Might start there. Definitely encourage you to be reading his word. You're hearing it proclaimed right now. Be a part of a life group where others are discussing it. Um, There's also experiences you can know him through. And I would tell you, whatever you're going through right now is an opportunity for you to know him. Whatever's happening right now is an opportunity for you to know God in that experience in a way that you never would have known otherwise. Some people say, well, I'll spend my time getting to know God after I get through this pregnancy or this job challenge or this school or this work challenge. No, He wants you to know Him in that challenge right now. I- I'll know Him more after this children are raised. Praise God when they're raised and they move away. It's wonderful. Seriously. He wants to know you in every issue that you're going through. He's in that experience. He's right there. He's very close. He wants you to know him in the midst of that. You know what? You can talk to him as well. You can. You say, well, I talk, but I don't know if he hears me. I never hear anything back. Let me ask you, how long have you listened? Sometimes we pray and we never stop. to say, God, would you just speak? I need you to speak to me about this issue because I'm not smart enough to figure it out. Amen? Anybody else? Um, I got a bunch of theology degrees and I'm still not smart enough to figure it out. God, I need for you to speak. I'll listen. So God, wants you to know him, the unknown God, as well as anything else you know and anyone else you know. Any experience that you know, he wants you to know him. And you know what? There's a lot of other people who know him. And you need to know them so you can know him. God never calls us to know him all by ourselves. We are called to know him in community. I'm so grateful for the people of this church, people in my life, the mentors I have in my life who walk together and I can get in touch with and I can spend time with. Sometimes it's just to be encouraged, sometimes it's because I actually need to help them understand, help me understand what God is doing. God wants you to know him. Does this place in your life look like an altar to an unknown God or to a very well defined known God? See, today, today you can start to know Him. Maybe you can restart a relationship that's kind of been dormant. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make Him known. We cry out, we cry out.